Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. Here at No Limits, we are on a mission to make a difference in the lives of others. We want to help people know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. It's a journey, and we're all walking it together. So wherever you're listening from, we pray that you are encouraged and empowered by this week's message. Good to see all you guys here. We're going to continue our series called God Privilege, of course, but I want to just take a moment first to tell you how appreciative I am that you guys show up here on Sundays. I don't take it for granted. You really could choose to be anywhere else, and you chose to come and be here. I'm really grateful for you. Y'all are awesome. You're an encouragement to me. I hope y'all are an encouragement to each other. Actually, I know that you are. Why don't you go ahead and turn somebody next to you and just encourage them. Tell Tell them how much you appreciate them being here today. And if you're joining us online, thanks for being with us. It's great to hear the Word of God over the internet. But if you ever have the chance to be here with us in person, we invite you to be here. We'd love to have you. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Kate. I'm the lead pastor here alongside my wife, Beth. And here at No Limits, we're here to help you know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. And so this series is all about living in God privilege. So we're learning how to live in the promises of God, right? And we're focusing on three of them, wealth, health, and protection. And for the past two weeks, we've been talking about God's promise of wealth, and we've discovered that it's more than about generosity. You know, generosity is an important ingredient. It's a required ingredient ingredient to live in God's financial system, but we also have to learn how to see money from God's perspective, or none of it will ever work for us. The bottom line is God wants you to prosper. God wants you to prosper. And I'm going to prove it to you in scripture once again, but first let me give you my definition of godly prosperity. More than enough, for my family, plus an overflow to accomplish everything God asks me to do. How many of y'all want to live like that? So let me show it to you in scripture. Second Corinthians 9.8, God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you, who? You, always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Not only do you have sufficiency in all the necessities of life, but you have an abundance for every good work. That's good. You have way more than you need so that you have the extra needed to care for others. So that's how you know if you're living in the promises of God. If this scripture does not describe your life, all you have to do is apply what I'm teaching you in this series. You have to take what you learn and apply it to your life. You can't just be hearers of the word. You have to be doers of the word. Don't reject it. Sometimes whenever I bring something before you, you're like, well, that hurt a little, so I'm going to reject it. No? Sometimes you need a little spanking to get, hit, to get in the right direction, right? Apply it to your life. It works. I'm not teaching you guys anything that I haven't tried myself and seen the results of it. Everything that I'm teaching you, I've tried, and it works. I can guarantee you all, it works. If you do it, it'll work. If you do it, it'll work. So I want to hear some testimonies of you guys taking what I teach you, apply it to your life, and say, hey, Kate, guess what? You were right. It works. It works because it does work. So my expectation for this series is to send you all on a trajectory of godly prosperity. I want to eliminate all debt in this place. Anybody agree agree with that? Let's eliminate all debt in this place and get to a place where we have more than enough for every good work. More than enough. So say this, God wants me to prosper. Did that settle in yet? Say it again. God wants me to prosper. I understand some people may not believe it just yet. That's why I'm going to keep telling you, because faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. God wants you to prosper. He wants you to have more than enough. In week one, I explained why most Christians struggle with prosperity, and it all boils down to this, y'all. Satan does not want you to prosper. 
Satan does not want you to prosper. So everything in your life that has caused you to believe that God wants you to be poor, that was all the work of the devil. That was all the work of the devil. He's been stealing from you this whole time. Don't forget this. God wants you to prosper. Satan does not want you to prosper. So quit blaming God for your financial struggles and start kicking Satan where it hurts for stealing from you. All right. Not sure you received that. You know, one of the ways he steals from you is by convincing you that money is evil. That's not true. Money is not evil. Money is neutral. It takes on the personality of whoever has the money. But what is evil is the love of money. And we don't even understand this because we think that the only people who love money are those who have money, who have lots of money. But that's not true either. You don't have to have money to love money. Actually, I would say that most people who love money actually have very little money at all. Let me put it to you this way. If you get upset about someone else having nicer things than you, it only reveals that you love money. You think you're pointing out that somebody else loves money because they drive a nice car, but whoops, you just revealed yourself. You love money, and it's expressing itself through jealousy. Did you know that poverty is just as evil as greed? Hmm. We went over this in week one. They both spend all they have on themselves, both poverty and greed. And poverty might just be worse because not only do you spend all you have on yourself, but you think you have a right to what other people have. That's the condition of America right there. Man. You know, because of this, we should be just as passionate about eliminating poverty as we are about eliminating greed. They're both evil. So how do you know if you love money? It's a real easy check. Has money replaced God in my life? Ask yourself that question. It's when your identity is tied up in how much money you have or how much money you don't have. I mean, come on, guys. Some people pride themselves in being rich. Some people pride themselves in being poor. When your identity is tied up in money, you can be guaranteed that you love money. Last week, I revealed God's secret to wealth. And if you saw that title from a church, everybody would assume, oh, Kay's going to talk about generosity. That's not a secret. Y'all know about that. The church talks about it all the time. God's secret to wealth is serving others. Because you see, the amount of money you earn is in relation to the amount of value you add to those around you. If you do the bare minimum at your job, you'll never prosper. You never will. If you gripe about your job, you'll never prosper. (laughs) But if you show up every day and you're honored to serve your boss and serve the business you work for, eventually you're going to prosper. And I got to clear something up that I didn't say last week. This isn't something that you can do once and then expect to raise the next day. I mean, that tends to be how we think, right? We got the microwave mentality. Oh, I'm going to show up to work tomorrow, joyful, and I'm going to get a raise the next day. That's not how it works. You have to learn how to serve without expecting a raise first. You're going to do your best simply because Jesus asked you to serve others well. That's your motivation. Let me put it to you this way. If you think you can believe God for something and then sit on your fanny while he takes care of it, it doesn't work that way. You're deceiving yourself because you have to put action to your faith. Faith without works is dead. So when you believe something, you do things that show you believe. This goes for anything, including money. And, it, and you don't stop when it doesn't come immediately because you understand this scripture in Galatians 6, 9. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, you will reap a harvest of blessing. What? You said it, Summer. If you don't give up, by golly, you can't give up. When I read this scripture, it makes me wonder how many people had a harvest of blessing coming and they walked away from it. And that harvest is just left there to rot. Don't let that be you. Don't give up doing what is good. 
You know, it all comes down to this. Either you believe others are worth being served or you don't. Dig down inside. Do you believe others are worth being served? Or do you not? I mean, if you do, it's no problem to clean the restroom, right? If you, if you do, it's no problem to get on your knees and help a customer try on a pair of shoes if, if that's your job. It's no problem. It's no problem to do what your boss asks you to do. It's no problem. Because I believe my boss, boss is worth being served. It's no problem to serve here at church. I get to make coffee for, for people. Awesome. I get to clean the restroom after Carrie goes in it. Awesome. <laughs> I get to serve in kids' ministry. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. It's a, I'm here to serve. You know, if you don't think much of others, you'll never prosper. You'll never prosper if you don't. And you're going to find other shortcomings in your life as well. I mean, isn't it fun to talk about these things? I mean, if you want some more spankings, some more heavenly spankings, just go listen to the whole message from last week, because that was just a recap. But we've been talking a lot about the part you play in God's promise of prosperity. So we got to take some time today to remind you where prosperity comes from. Because if we're not careful, we start looking to ourselves as the source of, of prosperity. That's real easy to do. It becomes all about how hard we work and how many hours we put in and how perfect we are and on and on and on. But that's the world system. That's how the world attains wealth, or at least they try to attain wealth that way, right? It works for some people. It doesn't work for others. We're not looking to the world system, y'all. It sucks. It's flawed. Instead, we look to God as our source of wealth. And Jesus was a pro at this. So let's learn from him today. In John chapter 5, you'll read about a time when Jesus had a debacle with the religious people. This was an ongoing thing for Jesus. And I've learned over the last year, it's quite exhausting to argue with religious people. My goodness, it's rough. But after this debacle, Jesus went into the wilderness to unplug for a bit, but people followed him. Not just a few people, but thousands of people followed him. I mean, can you imagine that? I'm just trying to get some time to myself. I mean, every mom in the room knows exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, I'm just trying to go to the bathroom by myself. And before you know it, you got four kids right there with you. Yeah, what are you doing? What are you doing? So, you know, of course, Jesus was moved with compassion. He postponed his alone time so that he could teach and so that he could heal the people. And Jesus realized these people were probably getting hangry. We've been out here a while. They're getting hangry. Anybody have a wife that gets hangry? Yeah. <laughs> You better not be raising his hand. Ben, keep your hand down. <laughs> but Ben, what do you do when Chick-fil-A is too far away? <laughs> Robin sends you anyway. <laughs> well, here's what Jesus does. He turns to Philip and he asks, hey, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Can you imagine being Philip? I mean, you're looking at 5,000 people plus women and children and Jesus asks you to go get them all some bread? Yeah, all right, Jesus. I mean, I can see it now, rolling up to the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. Yeah, I need 5,000 12-count meals. And you know what they would say. My pleasure. I mean, your total is $46,800, and we'll get it to you tomorrow, but my pleasure. And we find out in the next verse that Jesus did not expect Philip to have the solution. He didn't even expect. He was actually testing Philip because Jesus already knew what he was going to do. You know, I think Jesus likes to have a little fun. 
I mean, he saw the opportunity to ask Philip an outrageous question just for the sheer entertainment of his response. Seriously, Jesus liked to have fun. We all see him as a serious person, but he's like, this is going to be good. I bet you that's what he was thinking. (laughs) So he took it and he asked him the question and Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed these people. You know, there's a hidden gem in this story. And that's that Jesus will point out an impossible situation to move us towards faith. It seems cruel. I mean, it even feels cruel whenever Jesus does this to you. You're like, oh, that, I don't like that, but it's actually really helpful. I mean, how many of you hit up WebMD when you're feeling sick instead of asking Jesus? Uh huh. You know, you know what you always find out? WebMD always tells you you're, well, you're going to die. You are. I know your skin's just itchy, but it could be this, and you're going to die. And so now, y'all, it's impossible. It's impossible. So I guess I'll go ask God about this, right? So Jesus even uses WebMD to move you to an impossible situation so that you'll turn to him and increase your faith. It's only when we come to the end of ourselves do we gain full awareness that we're completely incapable of solving this. I can't do this. And then we turn to God and look to him. Jesus draws attention to the impossible not to discourage us, but to help us and to move us towards faith. So next in the story, another one of the disciples speaks up, and he says, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that among this huge crowd? So this brings clarity to the attitude that we should have about impossible situations. We still have a responsibility to find out what we can do. It's going to seem really small and insignificant, but you do have a part to play in this. You do the small thing, let God work the miracle. You go to work with a good attitude, let God work the miracle, right? But you have to take action. You can't just sit there and be lazy. If you don't work, you don't eat. If you're lazy, you won't prosper, period. Look around, see what you can do, and then partner with God to bring forth that miracle. So in this story, they had five loaves and two fish. So great. Everyone's going to get a crumb. I mean, this is going to be the most nourishing meal they've ever had, right? How in the world is Jesus going to make this work? Well, here's the instruction he gives next. Jesus said, all right, make the people sit down. And now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. So once again, there's significance here. Normally, this is a part of the story that we would just kind of read over to get to the next part. Where's the good stuff? But what can we learn from this scripture? What, why did Jesus have everybody sit? Why does it mention that there was much grass, that there was luscious green grass that they were sitting on? Well, I think Psalm 23 has our answer. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Let me just keep going. This psalm is so beautiful. He restores my soul. He leads me to the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know why? Because he's going to take that rod and he's going to beat evil to the pulp. Seriously. Yea, though I walk through the darkest time of America, I will fear no evil. Because he's going to bring out his rod and he's going to fix this thing. Yeah. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. They think they're coming after me, but I'm just having a good meal, y'all. You anoint my head with oil. You fill me with the Holy Spirit. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Anytime you're feeling discouraged, go read that psalm. Psalm 23. Man, that's good stuff. So Jesus was showing us that he's our shepherd. He wants us to rest 
while he provides for us, while he works the miracle. So Jesus just brought attention to the impossible. We can't feed these people. He asked them what they could do. Well, we have five barley loaves and two fish. And then he said, all right, great. Sit down. Rest. You've done your part. Now it's my turn. You see, this miracle is all about rest and provision. Jesus has shown us that we don't have to do this on our own. We don't have to strive and hustle and wear ourselves out. Nope, he wants us seated with him. He wants us to rest with him. Just like it says in Ephesians, or as a good friend of mine says, Ephesians. Did I say that right? (laughs) For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. We're not running with Christ. We're seated with Christ. So here's what we've learned so far. To have God's wealth, I must rest in his provision. But this really goes against our American culture. We celebrate people who work long hours. Way to go, Ben. You worked 80 hours this week. Woo! Robin's not happy, but hey, you did it. (laughs) We honor those who hustle. We think it's great to be busy. That's a badge of honor, isn't it? How are you doing? Oh, I'm busy. Oh, that's good. Good to be busy. None of those things align with the way of Jesus, though. When all we do is worry about our next house, our next car, the next raise, or where the next meal is going to come from, do we ever hear God? Do we ever hear the voice of God in the midst of all that noise? No, because we're just going, 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 going. This would be like going on a hike with my wife. And uh, I take off running because I'm obsessed with getting to the end of the trail. Maybe this is like some of the dads in the room. You go on vacation, you're obsessed with getting to the destination. Nobody's going to the bathroom. (laughs) Nobody. So I take off running down this trail because I'm obsessed with getting to the end of the trail. And she just takes her time and enjoys her surroundings. And she's trying to talk to me as I'm running off. And at first I can hear her a little bit, but before long, I'm way too far down the trail. I don't have even a clue that she's talking to me. This is most of us with God. Our pace is running. He's on a walk. We can't even hear him. We catch a glimpse of him when we lap him around the trail. Oh, hey, God. (laughs) Gotta go. (laughs) Take a look. For we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand that we should. (sighs) It's so much better to walk. Any runners in the room? Anthony? He asked me to go on a 100-mile run or something crazy like that. (laughs) said, you go ahead, man. (laughs) Would you prefer to go on a walk (laughs) or a run? So God is on a walk. Most of us are running. Like I said, occasionally we'll catch a glimpse of him when we're lapping him, but he's trying to tell us, hey, 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 rest, 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 slow down. You know, there's a quote out there that relates to what we're talking about. It's if the devil can make you, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Have you heard that before? And it seems accurate, and there's some truth to that. But it's actually a cop out. The devil doesn't make you do anything. All right. The devil can't make you sin. You choose to sin. The devil can't make you busy either. You choose to be busy. So don't pin this one off on the devil like it, like it's his fault. No, it's your fault. <laughs> you chose to be busy. The only one in charge of your time is you. So if you're moving at the wrong pace, all you got to do is go have a talk with yourself in the mirror. Hey, man, you're too busy. Slow down. Knock it off. 
And if you're looking for a good place to start, you probably know where I'm going with this. I recommend implementing one day of complete rest every week. What do we call that? Sabbath. It's like y'all have heard me talk about this before. Beth and I started, we've been practicing Sabbath for a year and a half now. And it's awesome. We don't look at our phones the entire day. We don't have a schedule. We don't have an agenda. We just wake up, relax, go with the flow, which is really good for this season of life because we have a lot of small kids. So, I mean, it's still frantically caring for small kids, but hey, it's Sabbath, right? We don't have to do all that other stuff. And our Sabbath is on Monday. In the first few weeks, the people that I work for would call me on Sabbath. I wouldn't get back to them to the next day because I didn't look at my phone on the Sabbath. So I'd call them back the next day and I'd explain the delay and they would say, you know, really? Like you're going to take off a whole day the entire week and you're not going to take my call? I just say, yep. You should try it sometime because it's awesome. And it took some time and it took some explaining, but now everybody respects that I'm going to be honoring Sabbath on Monday. Some of them, it took a few months <laughs> to learn to respect it, but they got there. And you know how many times it's wor- ruined a work project by not answering my phone on Mondays? Never. In a year and a half. Turns out what feels like an emergency rarely is an emergency. So here we are in a culture that doesn't understand Sabbath. This is something that we kind of like to dismiss because it's like, we're not under the law anymore. I agree with that. We're not under the law. But man, God gave us Sabbath as a gift. That's a gift. <laughs> I ain't leaving that one behind. I'm going to take that one with me, right? I'll keep the gifts. So we're exhausted, we're overworked, we're spiritually malnourished, and we're slaves to this unsustainable rhythm of life that we just have to keep going every day. day, Keep going, 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 going. And God knew we would struggle with this, so he gave us that gift, the Sabbath. Just don't turn it into religion like the Pharisees did. You know, the Pharisees were always fussing at Jesus because he was healing on the Sabbath or because they had a snack on the Sabbath or, you know, stupid stuff like that. So if you're using Sabbath as an excuse not to do good things, you might have the wrong idea about Sabbath. I mean, I've heard people say, you know, I can't serve at church today because today's my Sabbath. I'm like, well, I've learned that I need to cover all my bases when I talk about these things, right? Don't use Sabbath as an excuse not to do good things. Sabbath is just a day to say no to work. No. No to work, no to achievement. Forget about the pile of tasks and emails you're going to face tomorrow and spend one day every, every week completely unplugged. Can you do it? Oh, it's hard at first. But once you get there, you're like, ain't no, ain't no work getting into my Sabbath. It's like you put walls around it. It's good stuff. So Jesus had the people rest on the grass so that he could demonstrate his divine provision. So the food they had available wasn't even close to enough, but that didn't bother Jesus at all. He took the five loaves of bread and the two fish, and he gave thanks to God. And then he gave the food to the disciples, and they distributed it to the crowd. Everybody ate as much as they wanted to, and there was leftovers. It's almost like that verse that we read at the very front of the scripture. All sufficiency in all things, plus an abundance for every good work. So many of us are living in our own provision, though. We're working hard, and we're struggling because it's never enough. You get a raise, and your expenses get a raise, too. I don't know who told your expenses they needed a raise, but they got one. So what if we rested in God's provision? What if we brought before God the small, insignificant things that we can do, and then we said, hey, God, will you take this small thing that I'm doing and multiply it? What would happen? It doesn't really matter what kind of job you have, y'all, even if you have the greatest job ever. The truth is, in light of eternity, (laughs) it's insignificant. Hate to burst your bubble. But what I do is really important. It probably is. (laughs) 
but it's actually small. And I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm simply pointing out that we're all up against an impossible situation. It's impossible. We can't do this on our own because it's not until we get to that point do we realize that we can't do it on our own and we turn to God for his miracle. We got to get ourselves to that place. I can't do this. God, I need your help. And you know, the next story in the book of John is going to blow your mind. It's going to describe so many of you. And then it's going to show you what happens whenever you invite Jesus into the situation. So they had just fed the 5,000. The miracle was so incredible that they were determined to make Jesus king. But it wasn't yet time for that. So Jesus is like, this is my chance. I'm going to go get some alone time. So he snuck off for his alone time. And the disciples waited for Jesus until dark, but Jesus never came back. He was having an extended alone time. I'd say he earned it. Yep. He earned it. But they were in such a hurry. The disciples were in such a hurry to get to their next destination that they left behind the person that they were following. They got in the boat and they headed across the sea. Jesus was still there. They're just going to leave him behind, even though they're supposed to be traveling together. While they were on the sea, a great wind started blowing. So the waves were fighting against him. They were rowing and, and struggling and fighting the wind and fighting the waves, and they weren't getting anywhere. Anybody? Am I describing anybody's life yet? Telling anybody a story? Anybody putting forth a bunch of effort and getting nowhere? When the disciples had made it about halfway to their destination, they saw Jesus walking on the water, headed towards him. And here's what happened next. Then they willingly received him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Y'all, Jesus met him at the halfway point. And once they invited him on board, immediately they reached their destination. That's what it looks like. Whenever you look to God for your provision, when you stop trying to do it by yourself and you invite him into the boat, invite him in to your life. When you stop running and you instead walk side by side with Jesus, when you say, no, I'm not doing this nonstop hustle thing. I ain't doing it. And you implement a full day of rest every week. Let me put it to you another way. To have God's wealth, I must move at his pace. And just in case you're still not getting this, Jesus is about to go vulgar. He's about to say something very distasteful, and it even causes many of his followers to turn away. You mean Jesus would do something like that? But you guys can handle it. So we're now the day after the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus and his disciples had made it across the sea, and guess what? All the crowd, they got in boats, and they followed him across the sea as well. So I'm starting to feel sorry for Jesus at this point. I mean, can you imagine thousands of people following you everywhere that you went? That'd be exhausting. Man, get away from me. (laughs) So once again, they track him down, and this time, he calls them out because their motivation for following Jesus was way off track. Take a look at what he said. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. In other words, they were only following Jesus because of what Jesus could do for them. This still happens today. There's people who come to church only because they want to extract something out of the church. And here's what Jesus has to say about it. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. Jesus wants you to get to a place where you don't spend your energy striving and hustling, trying to meet the necessities of life. Instead, we trust him with our basic necessities so that we can be about the kingdom of God. In other words, you can spend your energy building your own kingdom. You can, and it's going to die when you die. Or you can spend your energy building God's kingdom, and it's going to last forever. 
And here's another way Jesus explains this to us. He says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father, he already knows what you need. So how do we get it? How do we rest in his provision? Well, he goes on to say, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Crap. I have responsibility. Why do you keep showing me these scriptures that show I have responsibility? Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And then you don't have to worry about your basic needs because he's going to take care of him because you'll have everything you need. This is a good life. And it's actually easy, right? It's easy to walk in righteousness because Jesus gave his righteousness to us. He gave it to us as a gift. This isn't something you have to work up. You receive the gift of righteousness and you walk in it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Y'all, this is easy. The church has made it hard. This is easy. This is easy stuff. So how do you envision this kind of life where he gives you everything you need? Is this quitting your job and sitting at home all day trusting God to take care of you? Or living a nomadic lifestyle where you bum off other people for the necessities of life? Anybody? I hate to break it to you, but this is not a license to be lazy, although we would like to make it one. Here's what it means to have God's wealth. I must seek God first. I'll never have it if I don't seek him first, above all else, above everything. So I'll share my journey with you to help you understand. I like to work. I thrive off of accomplishment. If I didn't have a family, I'd work all day, every day, and I would skip at least one meal a day just to make sure that I could get more work done. And there's been times in my life where I literally worked that hard. The problem was, the harder I worked, the more I had to do. I never got ahead. I was always behind. And on top of this, when you fill yourself with accomplishment, when that's where your worth comes from, you just need a bigger accomplishment. It's just like drugs. You just need a bigger hit the next time. I need to accomplish more the next time. So, but I would cycle. I mean, there would be a few weeks where I'd be like king of the world. Like, look at what I've accomplished. Look at what I've done. I mean, and that was followed by just a few weeks later. I'm like, oh my God, it's all going to fall apart. What have I done wrong? What if I lose everything? And then I'd be like, I'm the king of the world. <laughs> Look at my accomplishments. I mean, it was just a cycle. Success, fear of failure. Success, fear of failure. You know, my wife appreciates that I work hard, but she doesn't appreciate me overworking. I mean, what's the point of making money if we can't enjoy it together? I mean, what's the point? Thankfully, I found my way out, and it's when I started paying attention to how Jesus lived his life. He was never in a hurry. He was never in a hurry. There was one time his best friend was dying, right? Lazarus. And instead of rushing to heal him, what does he do? I'll be there in a few days. He lets the guy die. And then he goes and raises him from the dead. But he just wasn't in a hurry. You couldn't hurry Jesus for nothing. And Jesus took time for himself when he needed it. He would... Get away to the wilderness. And the disciples would be like, where's Jesus? I don't know. You know where Jesus is? No, I don't know. And he'd be gone for the whole day, right? And then they'd just leave him, go across the sea, because I didn't know where Jesus was. Jesus didn't worry about how much money was in the bank or how popular he was. He would run off thousands of followers by saying something and not even worry about it, because he's only had one thing on his mind, pleasing God. I'll do what the Father tells me to do. Because he knew as long as he's about the Father's business, he was going to be taken care of. He's going to have everything that he needed. And I discovered all this and I realized, I want to follow Jesus. Like if the most important man who walked the earth could live from a place of rest, I can live from a place of rest. 
And I started by implementing a hard stop to my work day because I used to work well into the evening. I said at 5 p.m., whether I'm done or not, I'm going to walk away. Even if it means I have to miss a deadline, I'm going to walk away because there's always more where that came from and there's always tomorrow. And I worked hard today. I wasn't lazy. I worked hard. I'm going to be done at 5. Then I implemented Sabbath. Every Monday, I completely unplugged from work. And it's a glorious day. I'm not there yet. I'm not tooting my own horn saying, I got this all figured out. I'm working on it. (laughs) I made a lot of progress, and I'm taking steps towards this pace that Jesus wants me to live. Most of the time, I'm seeking his kingdom first, and I'm walking and trusting that my family's needs will be taken care of. But sometimes I get caught up in trying to take care of it all myself. And then I get frustrated. That's always the key indicator, right? Why am I frustrated? And I suddenly remember where I got off track, and I go back to waking up every morning and say, God, give me this day my daily bread. Just give me what I need for today. Give me what I need for today, because I know you will. And I'm going to move at your pace and do what you ask me to do today. And this is what Jesus is trying to get across to us. He wants you to sit down in the luscious green grass. Sit down and trust him to take care of the things of life. And that's why he says this, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. We like to over-spiritualize this scripture, thinking, oh, this is only spiritual, but it's natural too. It is. The most important thing Jesus gives you is eternal life, but he also cares for you in this earthly life, if you'll let him, if you'll meet the conditions, if you'll do your part. And just like we struggle with this today, they struggled with it back then. So Jesus pulled out all the stops to help them understand. And I told you Jesus was about to get vulgar, and here's, here's where he gets... Vulgar and says something very distasteful. He says, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. Now, we've been in the church for a while. So, I mean, this doesn't sound too off base to us because I've heard this before. But what if I said something like that to you? I tell you the truth. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, y'all be like, oh. (laughs) Thankfully, this is symbolic. Otherwise, we'd all be sunk anyway. I mean, not only do none of us want to be cannibals, at least I hope not. But it's been 2,000 years since Jesus walked the earth in the flesh. I'm pretty sure there would be no flesh or blood left for us. I mean, we'd be out of luck. But by eating his flesh, Jesus was referring to our daily relationship with him. Just like you eat every day, walk with Jesus every day. This can't just be a Sunday thing. This is an everyday thing. By drinking his blood, Jesus was referring to salvation. He sacrificed himself so that you could be forgiven and saved from eternal death. And you receive salvation by believing in Jesus. And you know, when Jesus said these things about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, this is when many of his followers walked away. He said that one thing, and they're like, peace, I'm out of here. But why did they stop following him? Well, remember Jesus called them out for following him only because they wanted another meal from him? Come on, Jesus, feed us again. Well, he started talking about cannibalism, and they're not interested in his food anymore, right? Can we just go back to the bread and the fish that we had last time? Y'all, Jesus isn't your sugar daddy. He's not. If you're only following him because you want something from him, it's not going to work out. Nobody likes that. Have you ever had a friend or a so-called friend that only walked around with you and only hung out with you because they wanted something from you? That's annoying. Nobody likes that. Jesus is your savior, y'all. He's your teacher. He's your leader. He wants you to believe in him and receive eternal life. He also wants you to get with him every day. Do what he's called you to do and trust him to take care of everything. I don't have to worry about food. I'm taken care of. I don't have to worry about where I'm going to live. I'm taken care of. 
dude, my father, he owns this place. The whole dang world. There ain't nothing he can't do. Shofola sanabagi, biyasala la de sanakashatoho, silola de gatana gaya shote, fiyafala wadoho nohosi, fiyala sanabagi, mahasha sa senihidiki, silaba nababasa sedeveke, shomosa, silada di nabahasote, fiyala suno, biyashanabadi. don't know what the interpretation is. I just heard God say, get up there. Mason said, you need to get up there. I was like, okay. As I was sitting there, I heard a word from the Lord, which I was speaking earlier to Lori is don't rearrange your house. Don't rearrange your furniture when the house is on fire. As in what's, what's the priority right now? Is it to get out? Or is it to fix something that doesn't really matter because it's going to burn up anyways? And right now, I think that's where we are. We're trying to fix things that don't matter when it's going to all burn up anyways. So what's the priority? What's the focus? sense somebody's resistance to moving in the gifts of the spirit maybe you've never done it before there's all kinds of things that can make us think "Ah, I don't think I uh." if that's you just step out 
break the resistance. Don't look to your left or right. Look ahead. You may have seen those that have fallen away, walked the other way, took another path. But I want you to know you are in the middle of a Gideon hour where those that have walked away are being cold, cold out by my very hand. I'm calling you to rise up like Gideon and his army because the time has come now for you to take action and move in what I've called you to do. You've been resistant. Do not resist. Do what I've called you to do and know that my hand is upon you. You will win your battle. You will win your war. Whatever that is that you are facing, its knee has to bow to the name of Jesus. You know, that really goes along with something that the Lord spoke to me earlier this week. I was in here on Wednesday and walking around these chairs and and praying. It was a tough day for me. I woke up and I was just a little discouraged because... I've been pressing into what God has asked me to do, and I've yet to see the results that I know are coming yet. I don't know if you've ever been in a place like that where you're like, I I know they're coming, and I feel like they should have been here already, and they're not here yet. So I'm just having a day where I was just like, man, am I on the right track? Am I doing the right thing? I mean, even on my way here that day, I was listening to my message from last week, making sure that I was saying the right things. I'm like, man, is my preaching off? Like, am I not saying the right things? And I listened to that, and it's like, that was God's word because that wasn't mine. And so I got that confirmation. And I was in here praying and seeking the Lord. And I was like, Lord, what is this? And what he told me is he said, you are doing good work. You're doing good work. Be not weary in well-doing. Because in due season, you will reap a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. And I think that word is for more than just me. You're maybe on that on the verge, you're on the edge, like maybe I should just give this up. Maybe I just should just hang up the towel. Don't give up. You will reap a harvest of blessing. You will reap a harvest of blessing just at just the right time. We have to trust that God knows just the right time. You know, to him this little wait is so insignificant. He's like, I just asked you to wait for a few months. I just asked you to wait for a few years. To him, I mean, that's just seconds. He didn't even have time to go get a drink of water yet. You know what I mean? And we're over here like, why is it taking so long? That's why he has to say, be be not weary in well-doing because you'll reap a harvest of blessing at just the right time if you don't give up. So we're not giving up. I declare that today. We're not giving up. I'm not giving up. You're not giving up. You have an assignment and you're not giving up. You're not given up. We're not given up. Paul? I don't have much to add, so you don't have to go anywhere. <laughs> I, I just keep getting told. I'm telling you, I only 
want the best for you. That's that cycled through my mind about 50 times. I was like, I better say something. So I'm telling you, I only want the best for you. That's good. He only wants the best for you. I love those simple words like that. Because I spent at least an hour in here that day, Wednesday, circling the chairs, praying, being quiet. And then he gives me, you know, those two phrases. And then he's like, done. <laughs> Sometimes you want God to preach to you, right? Like, come on, keep going, keep going. That's all we need, though. He keeps it simple. Lord, we receive your love. I can sense his love in the room right now. And uh, all you have to do to receive it is open your heart to it. Just like he told Paul, I'm telling you, I only want the best for you. What's he saying to you right now? What's he speaking to your heart? God is here to pour out his love on you and to give you an encouraging word. Father, we receive your love. Our arms are open to receive. Our hearts are open to receive. We thank you for refreshing and renewal. We thank you for healing. We thank you for wisdom. Lord, we thank you for favor. Wow. All these things belong to us in Christ. We're seated above in heavenly places with Christ. Take a moment and just imagine that. You're seated with Christ. (laughs) So you can look to the side and say, hey, Jesus, we're seated together. You're here with me. We're doing this together. Father, we worship you today. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. And we place you above all things. We seek you first. There's nothing more important than you. Your ways are good. Your ways are true. Your ways are just. Your ways are the best. And we choose to walk in them. we thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. God's good. Glory. Yes, Gayla. I want to say this, it never struck me before where they talked about the verses where the, they, Jesus told the disciples how to sit down in Christ. Uh, it impacted me so today. He said he wants us to rest with him, walk with him. And so he wants us to stop being the busy stuff. He wants us, and not that we quit living, you know, but he wants us to find times to rest, to walk with him, to be with him. That's why he created us to begin with, is to have fellowship with us. And because of sin, it became so much more. But 
he told those disciples to tell them to find themselves in patch of grass and sit down. Well, we need to look for our patches of grass and sit down and take time to get to know Jesus. Rest with him. Not just do all the talking either. Let him talk to you. Have a relationship. Sometimes it's just being with someone you care about. It's not what you're doing, what you're saying. It's just getting close by being near. He wants us to be near him. Relationship. That's good. And you're right. And that's hard. <laughs> that's a hard thing to do, but yes. Let's do it. Sit down. Rest. Yep. Amen. All right, y'all. Well, yesterday we had a team here from No Limits that provided free car repairs to single moms, widows, and the elderly. And if you were a part of that team yesterday, you were working on cars, you were cleaning cars, I want you to stand up so we can honor you real quick. Yes. Thank you, guys. Thank you all. And I want you guys to know that you were all a part of this through your giving. You were all a part of it. You are an incredibly generous church, so we don't have to take up a special offering to do things like this. We just, God says, hey, go provide this car care. We're like, yeah, okay, yeah, we got it. We're going to do it. Um, the provision's always there, and I'm, just, I'm so grateful for that. And if, you're one, if you want to give today and you're giving by cash or check, just raise your hand for an offering envelope. One of our ushers will bring that to you. If you want to give online, you do that at nolimits.fyi. You'll find a giving button there. And then while you're preparing your giving, I would like, actually, Robin, will you come up here and just share one quick story about what happened at the car outreach? You can share the same one that you shared in small group, or you can share a different one. It's totally up to you. I first need to say... I'm really stupid sometimes, <laughs> and I'll make this short, but I went to a concert with my daughter Friday night, and it was wonderful, and it was so empowering, and when I turned to look at 5,000 people behind me, you could feel the presence of God, and it was so overcoming, and I felt so minute, and I'm, <laughs> my platform has changed. I used to be in the center of everything, and I talked to everybody, and everybody listened to me, and everybody remembered my name because Robin, 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 Robin was constantly spoken. Well, I don't work anymore. That platform is gone. But working with these men yesterday and listening to these women that came in touched my heart, and it made me realize that it doesn't matter who Robin is. I'm just glad that I was there to listen to their stories. One woman in particular, actually there was a couple of women that have, were coming out of an abusive situation, scared to death. One of the women had their, her tires stolen off of her car, sitting in her driveway. She, I don't know how old she is, but that's beside the point. She's got a seven-year-old daughter, and she didn't know what to do. She doesn't have a job. She had a stroke and a heart attack, and she was just so pleased that somebody offered to fix her car for her because she didn't know what she was going to do. She didn't have money to pay her gas or her electric bill. Uh, another woman, actually her little daughter, four years old, told me that her father was very mean to her mom, and they were moving, and she didn't know what she was going to do. And <laughs> here I start by thinking... I'm not going to sit in this little room with all these little kids running around, grabbing this and grabbing that. 
until I started listening to these women's stories. And then the little kids were not so bad. One woman was so overwhelmed that her uh, window on her car got fixed. She cried, and she was hugging everybody, and I even got snot wiped on my face. But I didn't care because I knew how appreciative she was for every single person in here and the men behind the scenes that she didn't even see that somebody took the time to fix her car. So this is a wonderful thing that you guys are doing. That's awesome. Before we go, I just want to give you a quick update on some things that are going on here at church, because I know you all see what goes on here on Sundays, but we're working to take the kingdom of God. We're working on the kingdom of God during the week as well. And I don't know what took me so long to realize this, but if I don't tell you all this stuff, you have no idea that we're doing it. See, I know I know it because I'm in the middle of it, but you guys don't know. So I want to take some time every now and then just to give you all a quick update. So what, what I want to let you know today is that Chris Wills, has been volunteering at our church as our small group director for years now. You guys know that. And then a couple of weeks ago, we officially brought him on staff, and he is now our pastor of discipleship. Yeah. Let me explain to you what that means. So on Vision Sunday a few weeks ago, I explained how God's mandate on our church is to go into all seven mountains of influence. Basically, we're supposed to not just hang out in the church, but we're supposed to get out there in culture and take the kingdom of God to culture, right? We're called to disciple the nation. That's what Jesus called it. Dis- go out and make disciples of the nations. So that's what we're going to do. And Chris Wills, as our pastor of discipleship, is going to lead that effort for us. So to start, he's working to establish and equip a leader for each of these seven mountains. So if you got a call from him this last week, now you know why. <laughs> but once we get these things established, we're going to develop a team for each of these seven things as well. And then we're going to get to work. Anybody excited to get to work? One of the areas we're really focusing on right now is government. We believe that God's called us to create voter guides for our local elections. We're talking about who are the candidates for school board and for city council and for state representative and all those things that you get to the ballot box. You're like, who are these people? We want to make it known who these people are, and we like we want to go interview them, and we want to find out how well they align with biblical principles. We're going to ask them questions. We're going to do research on them, all that kind of thing. Put it all in a guide and then give that not just to our church but to our community. So that's something that Chris has been working on, and that's going to take some work. He uh, started digging into it a little bit this past Wednesday, but man, it's going to take some work to get those guides together. But is anybody excited to be a part of what God is doing through our government? I mean, he is working to flip this thing upside down for his glory, and it's going to be good stuff. I'm excited to be a part of that. So I'm going to give you more updates like this as times progress, but if you have any questions on that, feel free to email me, come talk to me, whatever you want to do, I'd be happy to tell you. Thank you so much for joining us, and a special thanks to those that give in to our ministry. It's because of your generous giving that we're able to lead people to Jesus and make a difference all around the world. If you're ready to give, head to your browser and type nolimits.fyi into the address bar. And if you were encouraged by this podcast, then hit that share button and pass it on so that others can be encouraged as well. Or you can even take a screenshot and share it on your social stories. Thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.